Press hello, hello. Let's get a vibe happening. Ezekiel. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you say it. Fuck you. Hey. <laughs> do, do, do. Oh, vodka do. ginger ale. That's fucking nice. I Three, like that. two, and one. We are back with another podcast, podcast five, six, or seven. I can't remember, but we have got fellow Australian in the house, Craig Rodsmith. Rodsmith. I can't even remember Rodsmith. what your shop's name is. Rodsmith Motorcycles. Oh, that's, that's why I it was a very complex a one for man. me to try and remember. He, he took him years to figure out the name of that. He's like <laughs> deliberating, going out, calling his mates. What do you think of this name? Actually, and, it's uh, not my real name. Really? Rodsmith's not my real name. What is I, it's what it was. I was trying to think of a name for my show. I do everything like a blacksmith, you know. So Smith, and I, they're kind of hot rods. So I'm like, Rod Smith. And wow, this is news. The yeah. girl I was dating at the time, she's like, Rod Smith. That sounds like a porn star name. And, and you're, you're like, like perfect. Yeah, and then he's oh, like, yeah, daddy. Yeah, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. was your other job. <laughs> On a scale of one to. John Jeremy or whatever. <laughs> Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. My idol. <laughs> so what the fuck's your real name? <laughs> I'm not telling you. So we have to literally Actually, find you your know what? My real name, my, It's Craig David. My, no, my, <laughs> my real name's, last name's Harwa. Ah, Gaia. And I didn't want to be confused with you. Last name of legends. We've actually got a soundbite for that. It's, um, it's not Mark Howard. It's Mark... <laughs> now that's that's um that's news that's another first here at the pipe and podcast has exclusive been a exclusives and so only the, first i think the person that we thought we'd known for the last five six years if not longer we don't know he's anymore. been lying to us <laughs> what's your name on only fans rod smith oh okay hot rod smith <laughs> rod. Long daddy, rods. Rod. daddy rod smith i polish rods my name's smith <laughs> All right. So let's 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 start your story in in Melbourne, right? You were born in Melbourne, is that correct? I was born in Melbourne. And that was about Here's a little bit of trivia. 80 years about, ago? I, it, no, it was actually 61 years ago. I was just it's being my a birthday dick. last week. Happy birthday. Um Flea was born in the same hospital 3 days after me. Who's Flea? Really? Flea, bass player Flea from, from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Oh, wow. he was born in Melbourne as well. Yeah, he just got naturalised as a, as an American recently. Oh, okay. Born in the same hospital. I knew that. Yeah. Just a couple of days after me. It's funny. You look the same. We do. <laughs> you could be. You could be brothers. They could no. be twins. Yeah. Were well, you separated at birth? Do you have no. this? Well, they. You don't have the same mum, do you? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask Dad. <laughs> um, so your story starts in Melbourne. Yep. Give us, uh, just give us the background about life growing up in Melbourne and probably before you got into building motorcycles. Well, I got into it very early. It was, I remember I was like 10 years old and I said to my mum and dad, well, they said, what do you want for Christmas? I want a motorbike. And they said, you want to get a job by yourself. So I went and got a paper route, saved up every cent I had. Didn't, you know, waste it at the tuck shop at school and stuff like that. So you're literally dropping off newspapers? Yeah. yeah. And you know, rode around and then... I would go for the Trading Post was the newspaper yep. we had in Melbourne for classified ads. And a 1957 BSA Bantam was my f first bike. Wow. Pretty good first and bike. Yeah. Well, it was, it, it, I was a laughing stock of all my friends. Their parents, I grew up very working class neighbourhood. And a lot of their parents would go into Hock and buy them you know, YZ80s and XR75s. And I had a BSA Bantam. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it now, I was cooler than them. I just didn't know it. <laughs> it just it just took fifty years to yeah, to catch to on to become cool. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I've still got one. I bought one recently. One of the bikes I built for Bobby, uh, the Collegeur in the museum, has got a BSA Bantam. And when I bought the engine, the guy had a complete bike and an extra engine. I'm like, yeah, I should. So I you should. that's a keeper now. I, I've got it. I've still got it in my shop. Wow. I've restored most of it. It's just it's just a fun thing. Yeah, and I mean, so, let's face it; they're pieces of shit. So you were ten when you started riding motorbikes, so quite quite young, obviously. Very young. Um, riding them illegally on public roads, or just yep. riding them on a property? Uh, we're riding on, you know, there was some paddocks, you know, dirt tracks yep. nearby. But yeah, I remember when I was, I think I was about thirteen or fourteen, and I got an RD three fifty. Nice. And you know, bought it up some guy for next to nothing, got got it running, and I got I rode. I'm from north of Melbourne. I rode all the way to St Kilda, the other side of Melbourne. <laughs> rode home. 
I got busted like <clears throat> a block away from home. How old are you? Oh, they just pulled me over. You know, were chasing me. Jeez, my dad was pissed. You can't get a jail when you're 12 years old, so it's okay. No. Yeah, so they just take you home and give you to your dad, and your dad beats the living yeah, shit You'd, you'd rather exactly. go to jail. I'd, I'd rather go to prison. <laughs> Don't tell me, Dad. But I started riding at 11 as well, and I remember, and you must have felt the same, because like, up until then, I guess you were riding BMXs or bicycles or something like that, right? Well, I'm, yeah. you know, this shows my age. When I was Penny 10... Yeah. <laughs> Fucking good one, Scott. <laughs> I had a mouthful of water at that time. <laughs> it almost came out your nose. That's a lot of water. <laughs> if I had your nose for all the nickels, I could retire. Oh, <laughs> Scott, that was funny. That was funny. All right, back to you. Um, oh yeah, there, there was no such thing as BMX bikes. Okay, so, but what I was saying, like when <laughs> I, when I, I was when I when I was that age, because I'm right. you know. Younger Quite a me. bit younger than yeah. you. Well, a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm, li- not, I'm not actually that fucking young. No, to be fair, <laughs> your, your livers you. are probably the same age. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 going from like, well, we used to skateboard around and then and then we had bicycles. But then the first time you got on something with a motor, you're like, holy fuck, I can, I can, I can. Fucking get the I don't fuck have the pedal. Here. Yeah, yeah, I don't have yeah, the pedal. It's was, it was being lazy, wasn't right. it? it was just, I can just do that now, and I can just fucking go from here to there. Well, well the, the, the good side effect of that was like, oh, I can start drinking and smoking now. I don't need to be healthy and pedal. I got an engine. Mine was so I could find other girls in different towns. I was like, nah. Well, that's what I've always said. It's like <laughs> To find people... other girls. He's just declared his gender. <laughs> <laughs> so you can scissor with them. <laughs> A bit later on the beach. So, <laughs> but I mean, that's, let's face it. That's you ask most men, why did you get into motorcycles? Well, oh, because of the mechanical entry. No, no, no you get, you because you wanted to get girls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of it's like it's yeah. You want to be cool. It's an extension of your personality. Girls, girls back then appreciated guys on motorcycles. Girls now probably sit there and go, "You're a crazy madman on a motorcycle." Yeah. When did you start working on motorcycles? As soon as I bought the BSA Bantam. Yeah, because <laughs> you had to. Yeah, it was a necessity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, I, I also learned that I had to get Whitworth tools, which was... Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Remember, fucking Whitworth. Like, yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. Like, 1930... So, and the size is not... I don't Relevant know to anything right. else in the rest of the world. Yeah. Well, it's just like, I, I still can't believe that America still uses Imperial. Well, the ironic thing about it is it's an English measurement. Even the English don't use it anymore. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's but like just like when I when I was doing my machine apprenticeship and you're trying you're taking like thousands of an inch off the I'm like, surely it's easier to take fucking quarter like point two of a millimeter or point five of a millimeter or you know what I mean? Well the thing is too, it's because it, metrics, everything's decimal, everything's yeah, yeah. in tens. And a lot of people don't realize this, but weights like one square centimeter of water is one centigram. See now, I'm like it all good. translates over, and it's yeah, yeah. all the, o- the, o- the only way you lost I, all of us. The, the only I was thinking about human centipedes. <laughs> 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 uh, the only way I kind of figured out uh, the 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 whole like imperial system is is when I started smoking weed and you buy you, you buy a, you buy a, you buy a quarter or an eighth or, or a half ounce and be like oh, okay now I get it I go, like, yeah but isn't it interesting like cocaine sold by the gram yeah 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 is I've never thought that is wow. weird fancy bastards those cocaine users yeah I never touched the stuff in my life <laughs> <laughs> um, you started working on motorbikes when you were ten. When what did you do for work? I mean, let's 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 go through those years where you're ten, you're fifteen, you're sixteen, you finally get your actual license. What did work look like, and what brought you to America? Well, what I, I dropped out of school at fourteen, and because uh, I just didn't go you to dropped school. out, or you got kicked out? No, I I, I just never you got dropped kicked out. I <laughs> dropped. <laughs> I, I just never went to school, and then in those days there was no internet or anything, so I'd intercept the truancy. Yeah. Letters in the mailbox. Oh. You go and burn them, <laughs> and then eventually, I was with a friend of mine. We were playing pool where I grew up, the pool hall. You know, Johnny's top room pool place, and we got busted. Cops come and bust, and then finally, I'd been to school for like about a year. Oh wow! Uh, it was a long time, and uh, 
then my parents, all right, go and get a job. But after working a job, go back to school a year later. I'm like, okay. So I, I worked at the Malvern Star Bicycle Factory in Fitzroy in Melbourne. Yeah, right. And I, I, but it was my first job, painting bicycles. Bicycles, yeah. I had a Mel- Melvern Star bike when I was uh, a kid. I think we all did. I definitely I had think, a Melvin yeah. Star. Well, as well. For uh, yeah, Americans, it's <laughs> it's like the equivalent of a Schwinn bicycle yeah. here in America. Yeah, yeah. And because so you're working on bicycles. You're now 15. Yeah, right? I was yeah 14, 15, and then I got my apprenticeship and I become a tool and die maker. And the whole time I was just fascinated with motorcycles, and um, I'd got many different bikes. And what happened, as I was saying, a lot of the kids in my neighbourhood they'd have their XR75s and everything. Well, they didn't, appre- they didn't have to work for them, so they didn't appreciate them. And, you know, a couple of months after getting them, they'd be up against the garage, you know, flat tire. And I'm like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks for that and buy it and fix it and, and sell it. Sell it. it. Yeah, nice. And then I You think- were Facebook Marketplace before Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> Absolutely. And... <laughs> But it, I, I, that's where Craigslist come from, <laughs> <laughs> and Pornhub. <laughs> but uh, <it> <laughs> I've got so I, I can't. I mean, I'm trying to keep this fucking clean. Uh, and I, so you could see I mean, on my you, face. You were like, almost wearing a fucking vodka all over you. I, like, <laughs> I got some good material. Uh, listen, this you is don't have to keep it clean. Don't keep this clean. Oh no, even by our standards, it was. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> I'm like, ooh, no. Um, but it, it worked out good. By the time I was 16, I, I think I had a, a almost new Mako uh, motocross bike. Oh, no. 500. So I just kept building a 500? Up. No, I had a 250. Okay. And, uh, and then I got into a lot of European stuff. I had a few Bultacos, Perzangs, Montessa, Carpra, I remember I had. And, and I soon learned that Japanese bikes are so much better. Were yeah. you doing flat track or I, I did at all? do Speedway for a little bit. When I, in my early 20s, um, I, I enjoyed road riding yeah. more than dirt bikes. And I got a teaser. I started racing an RD350, improved touring class and some production. And then I ended up, I got a TZ350. I was racing TZs for a few years. And that's, Jesus, that's some serious shit. Those things yeah, are so yeah. fucking fast. Uh, I, weapons. I had um, I, I had a, a bit of a, a great day out on one. I had ne- Neil McKenzie's TZM250, and uh, Freddie Spencer lent it to me so I could chase him around the track in Valencia on that for a day. And I was just like, thing revs 16,000 RPMs, yeah. six wow. gear, and he's like, just keep it under 14,000 revs. I'm like, 14? I, I, I didn't well, know we'd no go to 10. You get under... Under 10, keep under ten. Like a stock, a stock TZ, you know, without port work or anything, um, anything under eight and a half. Yeah, yeah, just it's gutless. just gutless. So yeah, you have to keep, you have to you keep, keep the keep thing pinned, keep it in, in And it's, in it's power critical, band. like when you buy a TZ, they come with different gear, you know, final drive ratios, different yeah. sprockets, different tracks, you'll put different ratio, and it's critical, it makes a huge difference. I was so scared riding that bike because it's the first time I've ever ridden with race gearing on a, on a track. So, you know... I've ridden a bike before with with upside down gear shift, right. but not on a track, not at a critical thing. Being filmed by Discovery Channel, riding Neil McKenzie's TZM World Class 250, and with Freddie Spencer, and I'm just like, there's just so much pressure. I'm just like, I've just put all this pressure on myself to go, don't fuck. And all my mates are like, you're either gonna bin it, or you're gonna fucking break it. One of the two. I'm like, oh, is that great. the first time riding a two-stroke? Or first, yeah, my, my first time riding a two-stroke. So. That's the scary part. And I was like, fuck. Okay. Coming into yeah. a corner on a two-stroke where you sit there and assume that there's going to be some engine well, breaking, but, the, but the, there no, isn't. But, no. but the thing is, the thing is, you, you put all this shit on and like all this massive pressure and the bike and the situation and whatever was going on, and then you get on it and you're like, it's a fucking motorcycle. And then you get on it and you just like go through the gears and you're like, this is nah, fucking fine. I, I nearly bend the mate's bike. We were in the Royal National Park and he gave me his two-stroke and I'm riding it and I was coming into a corner. I've gone, okay, cool. Engine braking was slowing me down. I'm like, fuck, this doesn't no, have engine braking. No. I had no idea. I didn't know how two-strokes worked right. back then. This was like early in the in the days of me sort of even learning how to ride a, a, a motorcycle and I've never been on two-stroke since. But like, if, if, Apart from last night with you, Anthony. <laughs> but you never, you, you didn't ride, mo- like I rode a lot of two-stroke huh? motorcross bikes. So you, no, you I've kind never of know ridden a two-stroke bike yeah. at all. Yeah, two-strokes are scary. You had, you had one in my office for a bit. I think they're great. I've got a YZ250. Well, the funny thing is I'd never owned a four-stroke, I don't think, until, I can't remember the first time I got a four-stroke. Because everything, BSA Bantam was a two-stroke. Yeah. 
all these motocross bikes were two strokes and then I, RDs, TZs. So I was used to two strokes. But the RD 350 is crazy. Oh, that, well, ride a TZ 350. Yeah, it's right. like, yeah, I don't know it. Do you still have the your TZ? RD? The TZ was just a GP bike, just yeah, a straight, right. straight race bike. And the, 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 you know, RDs are rideable on the street. A TZ is virtually unrideable because there's nothing below eight, eight and a half grand. Wow. You get, I had a bit of porting work done, so it took it like mine would be 10 to 13, 14,000 RPM. But the, one of the most important things on a bike like that was the tachometer. Because when you're riding with a bunch of guys and they're all screaming, they're all two strokes, you can't hear and you can't feel. So you've got to watch your tack yeah, all the yeah. time. Because one missed gear makes a big difference. It's just so yeah, critical. Yeah. There's no torque. You can't rely on that. And you were how old riding this bike? Uh, my 20, I think I got it when I was 19 or 20. And you were wow. riding, riding that bike on the road? And you're alive. The TZ? Yeah. Well, yeah, I did a bit. But it was a track. I raced. Oh, but okay, you, okay yeah. you raced that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I did ride it on You know, no one's going to get you in trouble for this podcast, <laughs> yeah. right? You the can statue, ride bikes sta- illegally. The statue of limitations. Why do you think I moved to America? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Why did you move to America? So, anyway, um, it's a good question. I can't remember. Because you would have been, what, 30? I, yeah, I moved here when I was 30. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think now 75 years ago. He had to to walk past uh, Transformers Rex just to get here. So can we go? Can we go back to? Yeah, when I was a kid, it was why did the Tyrannosaurus Rex cross the road? Chickens weren't invented yet. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, can we go just after Malvin Star? What? Where did you go after that? Well, then I ended up with my apprenticeship, and uh, as a tool and die maker. Yeah, right. In Melbourne. In Melbourne. Yeah, and then finished that and. You know, I learned to weld, you know, because as you know, in Australia, you do an apprenticeship, it's government controlled standards. So yeah. part of it was being a certified welder. And then once I did my apprenticeship, I mainly worked as a mechanic. And then I opened my own little motor, you know, repair shop, motorcycle repair shop in Melbourne, had that there for a few years. And then I'd come over here to, to America and I'd buy Harleys and take them back to Australia, you know, in my late just- 20s. And sell them because back then in the late 80s a, a harley was you know just a big twin was eight and a half nine thousand dollars i was buying them here for 2500 bucks yeah right. and ship them back you know i pull the forks off and business. build a crate yeah i did what it did it was a good way for me to travel in america it funded yeah, you know, yeah. i didn't make a lot of money but i had a bunch of harleys it was fun that and then awesome. at some point you decided to move here permanently yeah then i moved here permanently 30 years <clears throat> And when legally, you started, illegally, illegally, illegally. No, I'm legal. I, I got a green card. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and were you custom building motorcycles here from day one? Uh, pretty much. Yeah, I just recustomized the first bike I ever built when I came here. I got a '76 Electroglide yep. I built 30 years ago, and I just turned it into a chopper. Yeah. And I'm sending it to Japan. A chopper. Chopper. Chopper on the telly, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Chopper, <Lovely>. baby. <laughs> I don't That's know. a lovely bit of kit, that. <laughs> so, so where did you first move to in America? Uh, when I first came here, ironic, I lived in Houston. Oh, right. And then I travelled up to see a friend of mine in Chicago area, and then one thing led to another. I ended up staying there, living there. You decided you really like the shitty weather, so I'll stay here well, instead I went of the Houston. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was an idiot. And then by winter, he knew he'd fucked up. Oh, Jeez. <laughs> Remember the first time I saw a puddle freeze? You know, we, we come from Australia. Yeah. We don't see water freeze on no, the ground. No, I never. remember my first winter and I, I got a stick and I'm poking the ice. I'm like, I'm telling, hey, look, this puddle froze. And they're all, you know, they're like, yeah. This is our special friend. Holy shit. <laughs> and then I snow, first time I saw snow, I'm like, oh, this is. Look, there's cocaine everywhere. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> And it was like, I love snow. The next day, I fucking hate snow. It's just horrible shit. So, so it's fair to say that you don't take the opportunity of snowboarding or skiing? No. You just, no does he look like once. a snowboarder? Do you oh. just stick in the workshop? I mean, do you have yeah, a, a, I, just well, a whole heap of heating? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it changes the whole economy when you live in the Midwest. It's like my overhead increases by seven or $800 a month. Just because of winter. Just because just you need a to heat the shop. And 
and laundry costs you four times, you know, because I paid to get my laundry done. Yeah. Because you're wearing so many clothes. Oh, right. So, and I just, what, you just do what Anthony does. I heat my the tools same thing. up. I just, uh, in, in England, it's so fucking cold in my shop. And I've got like a big Demler welding table, and it's like an inch thick stainless, and that's freezing cold. And you sit there with your arms not trying to weld, and you got layers on. I get all my tools out, and I just get the, the heat gun, and I just heat my tools up. Or I'll put the heater in front of the, the, the table so it heats part of the table up because it st- stays warm there. So I'll put my tools there, grabbing fucking spanners in the freezing cold trying to do Well, that's shit. the worst thing, doing what we do. Yeah, it's yeah. like you come into the shop in the morning. You're holding metal tools. I turn tools. the heat off at night. You come back in the morning. Everything, the alum, everything is just freezing, freezing cold. cold yeah. And everything it radiates the cold inside the shop. And it's just, it's miserable. So it was Rod Smith... Um, Customs, did you say? Rod Smith Motors? Yeah, well, no, Rod Smith Customs. And people thought that was my last name. <laughs> so people just started referring to me as Craig Rod Smith. I'm like, man, whatever. It works. It works. <laughs> and now, and now he won't even tell us his real yeah, last name. Yeah, what's on your passport, though? He won't tell My us. real name. He won't oh, tell right. us. Yeah, what's that? So secretive. What's on my pa- Well, Jake, my real name is what's on my passport. Um, no shit. <laughs> that's, I think that's how passports so if work. You go, <laughs> if you go back to 30, 31 years ago when you came here, did you start Rod Smith customs back then or is that more recent um actually i first called my shop when i came here toy makers so that's your real name <laughs> craig <laughs> toy makers <laughs> it is you're pretty fucking clever <laughs> no my real name's that's presnell. why you tell us my real name's presnell 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 yeah. no can you stick to I'm rod smith a- yeah <laughs> My dad's going to come over here and kick the shit out of you. <laughs> if he wants to kick the shit out of us, we're closer, but he would rather kick the shit out of At least you didn't have to grow up with fucking last name Partridge. You know what I mean? It's like... Partridge. Oh. <laughs> what do you Ostr- live in? A fucking pear tree? Yeah, exactly. Partridge you know family. I mean? So your business name back then was that? I mean, when did you get to this? Because I've known you pro- probably seven, eight years, maybe. Yeah, um, at least. Yeah, at what point did you start making bikes... At this level, or have you always made bikes? I've at this always level? a lot of it, as you know, growing up in Australia, especially when I grew up, you know, in the seventies, um, we'd get the American and European motorcycle magazines, and you'd see stuff, and it's like, and then you couldn't order things internationally, and it's like, well, I want that, and also we, I grew up, you know, modest, but we didn't have a lot of money, we're yeah. poor as shit, so it's like, oh fuck it, I'll make it. So I just learned to make shit, and it was. I had very supportive parents too. They Basically, my father always wanted a garage. He built a four-car garage, two cars wide, two cars deep, never put a car in it. I took, he just, I took it over. That was, I was that's full cool. of motorcycles and tools and he's like, oh, jeez. And he just parked his cars in the grass outside. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> put the Kingswood out. I yeah. just washed the Kingswood. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what about your, your, your metal shaping? Is that, is that something you, you taught yourself? Or yeah, it's it, something I taught myself. And you've never had any any training nope. or anything? No. I, for some reason, it just came easy. It, was, it just seems logical to me to, to do it. And I've tried to teach people. Some people get it. Some people just don't. They'll yeah. never get it. It's the same as any sort of ability you get. Yeah. I don't believe when people say, wow, you're talented. I mean, what is talent? To me, talent is a passion and desire to do something and you, you have so much passion and desire to do it, you'll teach yourself and you'll learn. Mm. And the same as if you want to play guitar or... You just have to be yeah, dis- disciplined. just do it. Yeah. But yeah. you find it relaxing now, don't you? I do. It's like meditation for you. Yeah. It's also a source of frustration too. <laughs> I was going to say, I find, this, I find it really relaxing for the first five minutes until I can't get until the metal to do it. Until, yeah, I fuck <laughs> up the first bit and then I do it again. And then on the fourth bit that I've made i'm you like pay someone else to do it <laughs> i'm like you call me and i call you craig how can i fucking do this <laughs> but then but then you get it explained to you and then like how the fuck could i not i i, not I think the reason that i enjoy it um building custom motorcycles is an interesting thing it's like custom car or anything else because it's it's joining form and function and you always have to give up one you sacrifice one for the other and that's what i like as I said, I'm a machinist. I've worked as a mechanic my whole life. And with that, it's like part A goes with part B. This is the dimension, whatever. Metal shaping allows you to be more creative. You can do whatever you want. And that, that's the part that I find relaxing. It's like just – and the, the, the satisfaction out of creating something from nothing. 
So, so when you're building a custom motorcycle from scratch, I mean, are you putting pen to paper? Are you drawing? Are you just envisioning? Don't. So you never just draw. you look at the shape of what the frame? I just um, have an idea in my head. I can't draw. I don't even own a computer, and or a I, pen. <laughs> no, I got a pen. <laughs> All right, it's a crayon. <laughs> you hate all those crayons. <laughs> just the red ones. <laughs> um, no, I, I just in my head, it just just makes up. And that was later on when I met Bobby. That was the fun thing with Bobby. Bobby would come up with some of these ideas, and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? That's a cool idea. And so he'd plant the idea, and we'd we'd have this idea together, and and you know make it come to fruition. It was just a wonderful thing. And it was the first time I've really done it. I've never worked with anyone else. That's one thing with my bikes. The only thing, I don't pinstripe and I don't really do upholstery. Yeah. I do absolutely everything. I do my own electroplating, nickel yeah, plating, wow. copper plating. And it's not, <clears throat> I guess I'm a control freak. I you, just you paint, need paint to, work as well? Yep. I used, to, I used to paint a lot of my bikes. From all back painted. when you were working on the bicycles? Oh, no, even up until... Um, I don't know, not probably seven or eight years ago. Yeah. I'd paint, painted all my bikes. And then I think it was when I built the dustbin that ended up in the museum, that was like, no, I don't want to paint this. This will be cool. Just leave it the way it is. And, and I like that. And I've sort of, now I just enjoy that. The, I think the thing that I really like about all the bare metal is you don't get to cover up your mistakes. There's no Bondo, there's no paint. Yeah. There's, mm. So my bikes aren't perfect, obviously, but... I think it gives them character. There's something honest about it. Yeah, totally. That's authentic, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's that fuck up is visual, yeah. but we've worked around it. I, it's funny. I, I, my friend Dave would be with me at shows and people come up and look at my bike and, you know, ask me about it. And like, wow, this was okay, but I fucked this part up. And then this part. He's like, why do you point out all the fuck ups? I'm like, because if I don't, I feel like I'm not being honest. Yeah. It's like. I do the same thing. You look at something you built, and all I can see is all the mistakes right. in it, all the fuck ups. I don't. Everyone else, says, oh, that's great, and I'm like, yeah, but that's shit, and I could have done that. Well, way you probably better. feel the same way. It's like I think every single motorcycle I've ever built, I always think, you know, if I did this again, I would do this different, this mm. different. Yeah, yeah. Every, and then the thing every is, if you did it, did it again, you'd do it different again, and then you'd say on the second one, well, if I did this again, so it's like. You'll drive yourself crazy, so just... Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't build five of the same bikes in a row, you know? <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> that, these guys, like Callum doing 25 bikes right. in a row, I'm just like, oh, fuck. That, none of them are the same. <laughs> well, I think, too, the other thing is once I build a motorcycle, I'm, I don't want to say I'm sick of it, but I've had enough. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, so I admire someone like Callum or Walt Siegel that will build a series of something. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have the patience. Yeah. I also I like I like to I quite like not doing the same bike again. I, right. I, I think it's you know it's it's a new learning. Th like I used to do Harley's and I, exclusively Harley's. I think when uh, the custom kind of game, well, when I started the game, it was all Harley's. You right. know what I mean? Mainly. Well, that was um, the original customized yeah. motorcycle yeah, back yeah. to the 30s and 40s. Yeah. You know, and, and so so, but then it was when I when I then I first did a Yamaha. I was like, oh. This is kind of cool because it's it's something completely new. You'd have to learn all over again because mm, with right. Harleys it's easy. And like you know, I can do a Harley, you know right. where all the wiring is going to go. You know what's under the tank. I know where this sensor's got. You know I can get rid of this. I don't need that. But then every bike you have to learn all these new right. little bits and pieces and what's going on. And and it's just it's 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 quite fun getting a new bike and going and taking all the, all the, all the body work off and looking at the bike just in the frame and going this yeah. is really fucking cool. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, I, I like the challenge. I think that's why over recent years I like to supercharge or turbocharge everything because it's no such shit. a challenge. <laughs> Is that what you like to do? Just fucking spice idiot. things up a bit. <laughs> you just like pulleys. Uh, I'm, I do I'm like currently pulleys. staring at about 15 pulleys yeah, on your two Ducati. right behind you. <laughs> so what's the hardest bike you've built? I think the most difficult was the, that's the bike we call the killer the, yeah. for Bobby that – building an engine and putting it in the front wheel and making that work. At first you think, oh, yeah, we'll just build an engine and it'll go in the front wheel. And it's like, hang on a minute, there's all these little aspects to it that's like, like, I'll just tighten the axle. No, hang on, the axle has to turn to drive the wheel. So there was all these little things that, you know, you build conventional motorcycle, you put in, you run a chain to the back wheel, that's it. 
and it just it changed. It's insane. I learned so much we, by doing that. We looked at it, it today. It's and my it, it's mind boggling. Just trying. <laughs> I'm trying to get my head around how. Even though you were explaining it to me, I'm just like, yeah, I fucking still don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. I know. Well, the, the funny thing is, I look at it now and try and explain it. It's like I don't. I can't even fucking remember what yeah. I did. Well, you were saying, like, we need to change the battery, and you're like, uh, I, I'd have oh, that was really funny. Me and Sparky, was, Sparky's like, how do we take the headlight up because the battery's under the headlight in the cell? And I'm like, I, I can't remember. We pulled half the bike apart before we realized it was one nut off that you just undid. Yeah, that's insane. And you do it all in your head. There's no drawings, yeah, no drawings. computers. Well, I can't draw, and I, computers confuse me. How, how do it's you... Insane. That bike, I mean, it's it's extremely symmetrical, all right. If you were to take a, a pinstripe, run it down the middle, look left to right, it's 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 a mirror image. How do you get something that close without having computers and drawings and molds and all the rest of it? Just by eye. But do, do you use bucks when you when you no. do something like that? You didn't you didn't make a buck. The only first, time, do, a couple like, of times, I I built things for other people. If they <laughs> want me to do something, yeah. they'll give me a buck, and that's a reference point. Yeah. Um, that was no buck. No, not, none of these bikes are built with bucks. Wow. All by eye. All by eye and by hand. That's insane. And that's the thing. I don't use power tools. Everything's hammer and dolly, file, and English wheel. I don't use a shrinker. I don't use power hammers. Just by hand. How much time? I mean, and this is a weird question. You probably won't be able to answer it. But how much time would it take to build something like that? Um... Like the dustbin, like the fairing itself, all the metalwork involved in that bike. Um, like we're talking, I'd probably knock it out in a couple he's, of weeks. He's quite, he's quite quick. This fucker. A couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought you were about to say a couple of months. No, that's pretty. The dustbin's relatively simple. Yeah. Wow. I'm Once you break it down, build a bike for me. <laughs> but I charge five hundred dollars an hour. So a couple oh, of yeah, weeks. No, fuck that. <laughs> that's like that's like two thousand Australian dollars. Yeah. Are you still doing the paper round though? We didn't ask you. <laughs> I was going to, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been thinking I already about got sacked. Back to it. I already got sacked. He's making a new bike for it. <laughs> Goes how, really quick. How That's many, what the sidecar is for, for all the newspapers. Yes. <laughs> how many custom bikes have you built in the last 30 years since being here in America? That's a good question. I don't know, a couple well, hundred? A couple hundred? Yeah. I mean, to different degrees. Yep. But yeah, probably a few hundred. So this is full. This has been full time for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Oh, 40 years. Forty years. Pretty. Much. I've worked other jobs, done different things here and there, but I've basically been doing this for forty years. Yeah. And I built. I, I worked it out one day, and I got up to just the motorcycles I've owned. I well over two thousand motorcycles in my life. Wow. What personally owned? Yeah. Well, a lot of them I'd buy them, repair yep. them, and get rid of them. So I'm including those. Yeah, yeah. And, and the stolen ones? How many? <laughs> Thousands. <laughs> Probably 5,000. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is there one bike you regret selling? Um, no. Really? Nice. No, no. Uh, yeah, there is. Ironically, completely original, restored, 67 BSA Lightning I had. That was here in That's Illinois. That's different to the one that you had the first, your first ever motorcycle? No, yeah. th- this was a, a, a 650 twin Bantam. Yeah. Lightning. And it was – I bought off this guy – He'd owned it since almost new, this older guy, and he'd restored it. And it was a nice restoration because the tank, he found a new old stock tank that was with fresh. So it was all original. Like It wow. was incredible. And it was completely bone stock. And I loved it. And I just, I needed the money. I sold it. And I wish I kept that bike because it was just. going to try and hunt him down. A cool How much? bike. How much? 4500 bucks. Well, maybe the millions of listeners to this podcast, <laughs> you know, one of you'll reach out and say, "Hey, yeah, I have, my sick, I have it was a the blue bike. with the chrome sides on the tank. It was a blue, royal blue A65 Lightning." How do you send those alerts on the phone? Can we? <laughs> <laughs> All right, a bit of context. I think, I think more importantly than the bikes, like having been in this industry and worked in this business for a long time, um, I, I, I used to work. Anyone that knows Melbourne, top end of Elizabeth Street, that's where all the motorcycle shops are. Oh, yeah, I know, morning, it. I know it well. Hanging out, Elizabeth Street, that's what you do. You just go and hang out in Elizabeth Street. Yep. And uh, I worked for Quincy Honda. They had the, the used 
uh, store. The, the dealership was in Mooney Ponds just out of the city and they had a, a used bike store there. And some of the bikes I got to ride that would come through there. But this gets back to the part you asked, regretting bikes that I sold, the bikes I could have had. Mm-hmm. We had Giosimo Agostini's 750 GT MV Augusta with 150 kilometers on the clock. Oh imagine, what that, imagine, imagine what that's worth now. This was in 1983 or four. Nobody wanted stuff like that then. Yeah. I could have. I think it was six thousand dollars. Wow. Oh my god! And I was like, oh. you probably retire on that now. But you'd you'd put a yeah. hundred thousand. Yeah. Oh, that 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 bike now they sell for I think in excess of quarter of a million. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. And it's just, but I, I through my life, there's a lot of bikes like that. that I, why didn't I buy it? And it's got to move on. I think yeah. every, everyone's got those stories as well, right? Yeah, yeah there yeah. it's cars or motorbikes. Well, I, I remember once stories. I had. I'd love a, to I, meet the one person that kept everything that they ever yes. owned. That's <laughs> what I'd like to meet. <laughs> it was, I used to ride Norton Commando. I had a Mark II, and you go for a ride out in the country. You know, it's out of Melbourne. And you pull up at the pub, and every, every old guy, parts. every old guy's like, "Oh, I used to have a Norton. Yeah, what'd you have? ES2." Every old guy in Australia in a pub had an ES2 Norton. I think they only made 400 <laughs> of them. <laughs> so must have been the same one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just got handed down every time. Um, you have mentioned Melbourne again. When you were in Melbourne, we probably can't go into this on this podcast, but Melbourne <laughs> was quite much, you know, the underbelly. You yeah. Know, there was a lot of bad shit going on in Melbourne when you were growing up. Was that anything that you uh, Hard saw? Hard <laughs> let me just get let me just get the sensor button ready. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the same neighborhood. You guys know who Chopper is. Yeah, yeah Chopper yeah, from the telly, Chopper. mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I grew up the same neighborhood, the same hung around with a lot of the same people. Yeah, wow, yeah. wow. So were you in? He seemed like a really nice guy. To be fair, <laughs> he he was a fucking he had a big heart. He was as a larrikin as far as. Killers go. Yeah, he was a good guy. Chopper is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, with, uh, with Eric, Eric Banner. is so good. And I could not believe, like, this is a movie that I bought on DVD and took to my dad and said, Dad, you need to watch this. This is just how it's shot and how he's played the character. Is it close to real life? Um, I, think, I think he did a good job the way he portrayed him, but it was a little bit different. I think yeah. even Chopper Reed said that about his performances. Yeah. He said it was really good, but it was off a little bit. I saw him so, once in Cronulla. Chopper Reed? Yeah, I didn't Is he him. still alive? No, no, no. Oh, he no, died no. of kidney failure or something yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. But he was when he, out of prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he spent a lot a of time in prison, but his thing that he always said was, is like, you know, he spent a bunch of time, I killed 18 men, never did a day of time for one of them. <laughs> and it's like he went to prison for other things. But he did – you ever seen that Four Corners interview he did right before he died? Yeah, I did. I did. It's fascinating but a little disturbing at the same yeah. time. He's just the way he – he took her to all the places. He's, he took her to where he, his first killing. And the oh, way wow. he explained it, it was like – So comfortable with graphic it. Graphic detail. So comfortable. Wow. But he looked at it – the people that he killed, he didn't kill – it was people that were – they were criminals. They deserved it, sort of. Yeah, that, was, that meant hell. They weren't nice people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was yeah. like, you know, he was. He was doing the world a favor. Do you remember where he, he did the public service announcement against uh, violence, uh, violence against women? No. Remember, he did, oh, you think you're a tough guy? You want to beat up a woman? You'll end up in prison. You'll run into someone like me. And it's like, woo. He did some ads for drink driving in Australia as well. Oh, going, really? If you end up in jail. For drink driving, you'll end up with me. Yeah. All shit. You just had a whole heap of guys drink driving. <laughs> I like a bad boy. Hi. I'm drunk again. <laughs> a red <retro> driving. <laughs> so which jail do I get to go to? <laughs> um, and that's how Craig spent a lot of time in prison. <laughs> you with get soap on a rope Christmas every Have you year. ever been to prison? <laughs> That's oh, a little wow. Little That's a whole lot of personal bro. Shit. I've never been to prison in Melbourne, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me either. That's, a, that's something we have in common. The one country. You have a bit of Country. 
Let's not, him, let's not go we're into not jail going stories. stories no. nah, we'll I've, do, we'll I've, do I've, no, I've never been to That's prison. a whole we'll, do, we'll do a side podcast about uh, just, jail stories. just prison <laughs> stories. Yeah. Um, Craig, you've built all these amazing bikes and you know, you've spoken about Bobby a couple of times. Um, just to be clear with our audience, when, he, when he's talking about Bobby, he's talking about Bobby Huss, uh, of which we're recording these uh, few interviews in. Bobby became a really close mate of yours. And when you look back at most uh, motorcycle builders creating these amazing things it's not always the easiest journey yeah you're not in it for the money you're not a doctor you're not making shit tons of money building motorcycles i am how yeah. did yeah you are <laughs> um how did how did you first meet bobby um it's when i built the the motor guzzy with the dustbin fairing i took it to uh, a show in austin and he turned up and uh, him and stacy and he told me later on what stacy told me he's like we're not leaving here until we buy that bike. <laughs> oh, and hold and on. I, Can I just stop you there for a minute? We were there, that and I remember the, you said, I've got, we were all having a beer, and you said, listen, I've got to go, I've got a meeting, I've got to, I've got to go have a chat with, and, and No, I that wasn't that, that wasn't that wasn't time. Then? It was after that I had to go meet him, because that's when he came up with the idea for the, the killer, the bike with the engine in the front uh, wheel. okay, okay. That was then. But no, the first time, I didn't know Bobby, I didn't know who he was, and he basically approached me, and he said, would you be interested in selling that? I was broke. I borrowed money. I don't know why I even went to the show in Austin. I, for some reason, I didn't go there thinking I was going to sell a motorcycle. Mm. It started, what happened when I was building that bike, my friend Dave talked me into doing those videos yeah, yeah. from start to finish of building the bike. And that got some attention, uh, which was nice because I, I had fun doing them and people got to know about my work and stuff like that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I end up going to the show and then Bobby approached me, is you want to sell it? I'm like, sure. And I was sleeping in the van in the parking lot outside the show this whole time and driving out to the truck stop for $4, taking a shower and like, had no idea what I was going to do when I went back home. And he offered me, he's like, what would you take for it? I'm like, well, what would you offer me? And he offered me a, a lot of money. More money than so I So if you answered before. the question first, you would have been fucked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not stupid completely. <laughs> and because uh, I would have, I don't want to say it, but I, yeah. I, I was like, I would have basically taken anything for it because yeah. I had no money. And he, he was extremely generous. And we just hit it off. He was just, I'm like, I like this guy. And so I left Austin and then driving back to Chicago, I dropped it off in Dallas and he paid me and... Um, then not long after that, he's like, hey, I've got an idea for a, another custom bike, which was the Call Azure. It's a little skinny board tracker looking thing with the BSA motor. And we built that. And then it was about two years later, he's like, I've got this, like four in the morning, got this great idea. <laughs> and he's shown me this Art Deco bike, Killinger Fraun bike from 1935. There was one prototype, mate, radial three-cylinder engine in the front wheel. I'm like... This guy's fucking insane. <laughs> I'm like, Bobby, I, I don't think I'm the man for the job. Perfect, you're the man for the job. And the the thing that I worked out after that, the man had more faith in me than I had in myself. And he knew I could do it. I didn't believe I could. And that's what he did, not just for me, for a lot of people. He brought out the best in them. He saw things. And he's like, okay, do this. And then we went on, then... Um, he wanted to go originally he we were going to build a really cool sidecar bike uh like an art bike but something that was usable because bobby rode sidecar bikes something that he could take out every now and then and leave it in the museum and it's and it's, well then it escalated he's like bobby wanted to go <laughs> land speed racing <laughs> so it's like well this took a bit of a turn <laughs> and so now it's like and i want you to coach me to go land speed. i'm like okay so we turned it it's it's really fast and I don't know, a lot of people probably haven't ridden sidecars, but riding a sidecar is, you think it's safer because it's got an extra wheel. It's like a car with a mm. wheel missing. It's like, they, they're, they're fun, but you know, ride a bike, you lean it, you can't do that. It's a whole different feeling. And um, I started training Bobby to ride it. He was doing really good. And unfortunately then we lost Bobby. Yeah. And, uh, so Stacy and I and the team, we decided I was going to ride the bike in Bobby's place, which I did. And then um, I got up, you know, over 125 miles an hour. Wow. And it's like on a sidecar, that's... That's fucking daunting. That's huge. It's 
Well, the last run I did on it, the motor locked up too. It was just over 120, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, geez, that'll make you sphincter pecker up your day. Yeah. And wind, wind is the issue as well. Yeah. With a yeah, sidecar, right? Yeah, because you don't, you can't lean, you can't yeah. go anywhere. And if it gets out of shape, it's like. A it's speed wobble get... with a fucking sidecar. <laughs> Jesus, I couldn't even think of anything worse. Well, I, I remember it's amazing, you know, going, you know, it's not ridiculously fast. It's still fast with no. a sidecar. And it, the thing is, I believe it's impressive. It's a push rod engine, less than a thousand cc going that fast. Great yeah, sidecar. So I'm proud of that aspect of it. But when that engine locked up, it's amazing what will go through you. It probably only took a split second by the time I pulled in the clutch. But when it locked up, by the time I pulled the clutch in, I thought, I hope this isn't the transmission or the rear end because it's a shaft drive bike because the clutch isn't going to make any yeah, yeah. difference. I'm like, mm. And I'm like, I'm going down if it's not. I pulled the clutch and it started coasting. It was the engine, oh, fortunately. Lucky. And it's like, Thank God. Ooh. Lucky. So, I mean, safe to say, I mean, going back to the conversation of you were sleeping in the van after the event, um, obviously couldn't afford accommodation. Right. Yep. So meeting Bobby, you know, turns into this fortuitous. Um, I can't even say the word. Gratuitous. Yeah, it's not the right word, but obviously oh, I'll meeting make it him simple. is taking like you down it, a path. Meeting Bobby changed my life. Yeah. yeah, it's that simple. Yeah, and the thing is, I'll admit it. I'm the first person to admit it. Yeah, and I know I'm a very independent person, but I, I yes, it cha- he changed my life. Not just. Um, the nice thing is when we started building bikes together, because the first one, he bought a bike off me that I'd already built. The other ones were commissions. He was always hands-on and involved. And it wasn't, it never felt like, well, it's just this, he wasn't the guy. He didn't just write checks. Yeah. He would just, he would be involved with the design and everything. And he was part of it. And then it just got to the point, it just felt like me and a friend building a bike together. Yeah. You know, I had the ability, I guess, and he had the means and we'd do it. And we both got just as much out of it and it was it was great and i'm guessing that would be the same i mean obviously you were a big part of the documentary leaving tracks uh there were a couple other builders in that as well uh i'm guessing they'll you know if we were to talk to those builders they would have similar stories oh absolutely yeah Yeah. i think a lot of them there's uh max uh was going down the same similar path as me he was you know built but the first bike that bobby bought off him he was he was a carpenter he's getting ready to go back to work as a carpenter. Mm. And you look at what Max has built since then, I think, you know, the motorcycle world's better because Max's bikes are beautiful. And, yeah. you know, this might not have happened if Bobby hadn't have given... So he's changed a lot of paths for a Absolutely. lot of people. A lot of people. A lot well, of the builders, thing is, yeah. the, the one thing that I like to think, not just what he did for me individually or for Max or, you know, some of these other guys, but I believe that he elevated the entire mm. motorcycle industry, and especially in the custom world, he did because this has become a place where people still do it even he's gone like approach stacy in the museum it's like oh would you be interested in my bike and it's like this became the standard like i want to build a bike good enough to get into people this are museum. aspirational mm, yes yeah. so he did a lot more than just me as an individual or he, I think he did a lot for the entire industry. He's obviously, he's obviously got really good taste because he's got none of Anthony Partridge's bikes in here. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He asked me about Partridge once. <laughs> what did you say? No, 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 don't even. I'll take you just gave him one, just You just gave him one of his business cards? <laughs> <laughs> what does this see you next Tuesday mean? <laughs> I think there's a few too many I, I'm words like, Bobby, in Bobby, I think that's can't understand normal thinking. <laughs> can't understand it. I'm just I'm just looking at that bike over here. Your uh, shoulder. I forgot we're doing a podcast. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, just look at that! Like, oh, oh, that's <laughs> very. That's such. That's so beautiful visually, isn't it? Is can, that, they, can they see us? No. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this might be doing a little bit of recording, but it would probably be overheated or something by the time. We've completely all lost the podcast now. <laughs> oh, no, nah, it's all right. We can edit that's this. Fine, that's we fine. Can, we can edit this if we. I was going to go in the toilet actually. No, no, no. But let's 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 start to wrap this up. But um, well, well, hang no, on. I think can I ask you going. guys a question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me do that again, so we don't have to cut it too okay. much. Um, but just say it. Well, what I was going to ask you: This is your guy. You've known. You know, you've worked with the museum with putting up bikes here and on Pipeburn and stuff. And this is so you've known a lot about it for a long time, and you've had this relationship with the museum. This is your first time here. 
what are your thoughts on the museum? What, how do you feel? Me personally, I'm blown away by seeing all these bikes. Like, it's next level seeing all these amazing bikes. You see them in photos. It's different coming here and seeing right. them in real life. And I they're almost was... like rock stars to me. Like, right. I thought it was interesting what you said to me earlier um, before the podcast. You said it's some of these bikes were featured on Pipeburn yeah. years ago and now you're seeing them. And I didn't even know they were here. Some right, of them. yeah. Like that's... you see these photos, you've written about them and seeing them in real life is next level. Like it's, 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 it's quite amazing to see so many bikes mm. all like and and i've 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 seen all of these bikes you know at a, either at a show somewhere else or online right. or in a magazine or something but to see them all together in one place under one roof yeah is quite is quite spectacular because and and like walking into this room especially you just you don't see that many right bikes at the all at once i i didn't know there was this many here and and like to think you have a number in your head. You, how many bikes are there? Two hundred thirty-two or something. Two thirty-two. Like. Totally. But like yeah. to see them all here, it it's, it seems like way more. You know right. what I mean? To me, it's like the hall of fame of custom bike builders are in this room where everyone in. accepts. I'm gonna, Anthony uh, Partridge, I'm gonna go to the toilet now. Is, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is. It's like that. It's uh, like Ed, for me coming in here. I think Scott and I sort of dealt with um, tell. That's not the right word worked with Bobby for a little while when we were doing the Pipeburn COVID mm -hmm. um, custom motorcycle show. Mm -hmm. So you get to meet him and right. you get to know him. And then obviously he became an ambassador for DGR. Um, and that was something that he was super passionate about. And then even coming here and seeing the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride helmets in his office right. and up on the display here, it's this weird connection with the person that you wanted to meet in right. real life that obviously you know, didn't go yeah. the way it planned because the goal was always to come here. Well, I know he would have loved meeting you guys. N not so much Anthony. But, <laughs> um, but you two, he, I, I really think he's – and, you know, oh. if he's up there looking down, I know he's beaming right We now. wish we could have met him, but – I think it's this – when you see a place like this that's had this much uh, passion put into it – right. You can't not connect with it. Right. And the way that everything's laid out, like I'm getting shivers just even yeah, thinking about this stuff, but the way that everything's being curated, you could tell that it, it, it's a man that was passionate about what he was doing. And I think when you look back at Bobby's life uh, and you learn more about him, you see that that passion was there from day one across Absolutely. many different projects. Yeah. Uh, it would have been great to yeah, still have him around and see what he was going to do in yeah. another 10 years' time. Mm. And how are you doing after... Bobby passed away. You were um, my best mates with him, pretty much. Yeah, we were, yeah, best friends. We were very close. Um, it's still difficult. Certain days, um, it's you know when I'm working in my shop in Chicago, it's like I, I'm not a very spiritual person, and I'll admit that I'm an agnostic on him. But it's mm. like a lot of times I find myself talking to him, just like he's with me, yeah, like hanging out, and I think he's enjoying that and looking down. He's just he's thrilled. I'm going to fucking cry. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, should we wrap it up and go get pissed? <laughs> I yeah. think we should wrap it up. In in honour of Bobby. I, I talk too yeah. much. Like my dad said, I was vaccinated with a gramophone needle. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, Craig. It's been an absolute pleasure yeah. having you on board. It's, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you, mate. Yeah, you're a legend. Well, thanks a lot, mate. You're a cunt. <laughs> Complete cunt. Beep, Fuck. beep, beep, I'm beep. so beep, glad beep, you said beep. it. I've, I've been biting my tongue the whole fucking thing. <laughs> when are we going to get rid of this content? 